0: Good morning, I'm Raul Perez, I'm the senior associate pastor here, and uh, I'm excited to be preaching for the first time in this series, uh, Drawn to the Margins. Uh, A couple weeks ago, Pastor Scott preached about the Syrophoenician woman and her daughter that was healed, and then uh, last week, Pastor Anna uh, preached about the ten lepers. And this morning, we see a man who was disabled an invalid for 38 years Who was healed? Last weekend, I was in Malibu. If you're from California, you think I was in sunny beaches and waves. No, I was north, uh, a camp called Malibu uh, in Canada. And 270 men gathered at this young life camp out in this inlet in the middle of nowhere. And uh, they were either introduced. Or reintroduced to Jesus Christ in a very powerful way. So, if you don't know anything about Young Life, one of the things that they do is called Club. Club is a gathering at night where they got a lot of fun music, uh, a lot of guys, 270 guys singing, Hey Jude, pretty cool. Uh, And then uh, they usually have a speaker. And, when the speaker is done, he usually gives these prompts, uh, questions to talk about, and all the men will go back to what's called cabin time. So, you gather up with the, with the people, the men that you are bunking with, and you sit on the floor, and you talk about these questions. On the second night there, uh, the questions that he gave us to, to go through were these. What is the state of your heart? The next one was... What lies have you believed? And the third one, what do you want Jesus to do for you? It was in that cabin time that we had some very powerful interactions with the men, especially around this question, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Because this is the question that Jesus basically asks the, the disabled man, do you want to get well? He puts it in his court, and he wants him to respond, does he want that? He's basically asking him, do you believe that you can be healed? Or do you believe the one speaking to you can heal you? Is there some voice in your life that is louder than the one that is speaking to you now? You see, this is the bad news that we have to deal with. We let lies become the louder voice in our lives rather than Jesus' voice that tells us, get up. You have been made well. The experiences we have in life are like a delivery truck. So experiences will come and they'll drop off truth or lies at our doorstep and unfortunately, Sometimes we sign and take in the lies. We believe them. And one of the lies that I have struggled with, but I feel like the Lord kind of gave me a little bit of healing this last weekend, but one of the lies I've struggled with is this. Do you really love me? People, God, I've struggled with this question this voice in my head that says this People in God only love you for what you can do for them, not because of who you are. This has blocked me from seeing God's healing in my life and blocked power from working through me because I signed for that lie some time along the way. Perhaps you can relate. Perhaps you struggle with listening to the voice of lies rather than the voice of truth from Jesus. What's the negative phrase that gets played on a loop in your head? Here's some from this weekend with the men. You're not good enough. You don't deserve any good thing. You don't deserve to be happy again. Perhaps you cannot see the healings God has spoken over you because you are listening to these voices over Jesus' voice. Maybe it is time to call out the lies we listen to and tune in to the voice of truth. And this is the good news that this passage has for us today. Scripture shows us what the voice of truth sounds like and how to listen to it. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, establishing his voice as the most authoritative in our lives. He is able to heal. His voice is able to direct us. His voice is able to show us that how things can be, not just as they are, but how they can be and how they will be in God's kingdom, a reality we can live here on earth because they can be given to us through healing. God heals us so we may know his love, experience the reality of things as God experiences them, and spread the good news about this reality to others. In today's passage, with the healing of this disabled man, we will see God's heart is to heal us, to release us, to liberate us. God wants us to experience the reality he lives in in his kingdom, the kingdom of God, which Jesus wants to give to us through healing. And immediately after the man is healed, he is tested. Just like all of us will be tested after we are healed, you will be tested and tempted to disbelieve that you have been healed. You will experience more oppression after a healing than most other times in your life. It is a fight to make anything else but Jesus' voice the louder in your life. And yes, it will be tough, but today's story is meant to encourage us that while we are going through the fire, Jesus will always find us in the fray. We are a found people. We are healed. We are tested. We are found. And of anything that I want you to take away this morning, I want you to take away the main point. It's, I think it's on your bulletins, and it is this. If you want to be made whole, you must first believe that you have been made well. It's one thing to be healed, as Paul was saying. Actually, he didn't say that in this service. Forget I said that. It's one thing to be healed. It's another thing to be made whole or made well. See, this ideal, idea of healing leading to wholeness is much like these kids' puzzles that I saw. It's a series of four puzzles, Right? They're just 12-piece puzzles, and you put them together, and it's a a scene, and it's complete, and then you put together another, and then all four, and then after all four are put together, I mean, they, they they are complete in and of themselves, but when you put all four of them together, you're all of a sudden shown a larger scene that works together to create this whole feeling. You see, what God is doing in and through us is He is completing a puzzle one at a time. Twelve pieces, pulling them together, healing that part of our life. And He wants us to grab hold of that wholeness. He wants us to accept that that portion of our life is healed. And then He'll move to another one and another one. You see, the evil one wants us to believe that if we aren't completely healed in one go-around, then there has been no healing at all. And that is what we, God is trying to help us understand, that there is healings happening in our lives in lots of little ways, and he wants us to take hold of them while he completes the big whole picture and brings that wholeness into himself, We are literally being brought into wholeness in Christ, one puzzle at a time. So, this morning, as we see this man's story, I believe actually this healing is a cautionary tale for us because it is questionable. Did the man take hold of the wholeness? He was healed. But does he believe it? Is he made whole? So, let's jump in. Our first point we are healed. The setup of this scene is the Jews have gathered in Jerusalem for one of the three major festivals. Pentecost, Tabernacles, Passover, those were the three major festivals. And the, the verses actually don't specify which festivals. So we're not going to try and do jumping jacks and figure out which one. The narrator doesn't seem to care about it, so we're not going to focus on it. But what's important to know about festivals is that they are pilgrimages where crying Jews from the area surrounding Jerusalem to attend them, likely for a seven-day period. And the Mishnah tells us, uh, the Mishnah is this kind of oral tradition interpretation of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. So the Mishnah tells us who was required to attend these festivals, and it says this, all are under obligation to appear except minors, women, the blind, the lame, the aged, and ones who are ill physically or mentally, so basically men. And in this day and age, uh, this list of people would be considered the weak. So this is a curious detail because all the weak people who are not obligated to attend these festivals are the focus of our story today. They are the ones who are the the staple in the scene. See, in verse 3, Jesus walked by a pool in Bethesda where a great number of weak or disabled people used to lie around. It names the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. But I wonder if that whole list we just read of weak and powerless people were there too. Minors, women, the aged, outcast people. So just envision it. Jerusalem is filling with men, the powerful, from all over the area. And these locals, these weak and powerless people, are just lying in wait by this pool with these men walking around filling their space. The scene is chock full of power dynamics. Not all of them that we can get into, but we just need to ask kind of the obvious question. Why are these locals just lying by this pool? What are they waiting for? It says they're waiting to be healed. Uh, in your Bibles, you'll see that verse 4 is like footnoted. I don't, we, don't, we won't get into why that is. It's essentially kind of manuscript stuff. But it essentially, it says this. It, it wasn't read for us, and I'll read it. The... All these folks, the, you know, the paralyzed, lame boy. They waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each, after such a disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease that they had. So these people are lying around the pool. They're wanting, they're all weak, disabled, they're wanting to be the first one into the pool after it's stirred because they believe they will be fully healed of their ailments. And so they just lie and they wait and someone jumps in when it's stirred. So all these male visitors are just walking around, these disabled folks that are just waiting and waiting and waiting and these people who are here may be un considered unclean. And so people are not engaging them. But the story says that one person does. Who is that? Jesus! Jesus looks on all the people, and he looks, and he sees this man, and he somehow learns his story this Disabled man for 38 years, Jesus learns his story. Jesus loves stories. He was taught by stories when he was little. He taught, I was going to say he taught when he was Jesus. He's always Jesus. But, you know, when he entered his ministry, he's teaching with stories. And I think the truth is, is that he wants to learn your story too. I believe that Jesus wants to discover even more of your story that you're willing to let him see because he wants to break into it, maybe even this morning. Don't resist. Don't resist him. So he looks at the man, and once he learns the man's story, he cuts right to the heart of things, and he asks the man, do you want to get well, or do you want to be made whole? Does anybody else think that that's kind of a funny question to ask someone who's been disabled for 38 years? Why wouldn't he want to be made well? Who doesn't want to be cured of being disabled? It turns out to be a pretty profound question because the man does not answer Jesus directly. Not with a yes or with gratitude, he rather, he he seems to make an excuse. He tells Jesus that he has no one to put him in the water when it is stirred by the angel. Others always get in before him, seemingly saying that if circumstances were different, he would be healed. But as it is, he must remain disabled and weak, he must remain a victim. Who here, when Jesus broke into your story to heal your wounds, to put one puzzle of your life back together, did you block him with an excuse? You said you were scared and weren't sure you wanted to be healed. Or the way Jesus wanted to heal you sounded ridiculous or just not possible, or he was trying to heal an area of your life that you didn't seem concerned about, and so you ignored it. Perhaps you harbor unforgiveness in your heart for another. I carried around unforgiveness for years, and the thing about unforgiveness is that unforgiveness is like eating rat poison and expecting the rat to die, but that's not what happens. You die when you hold on to that unforgiveness. And that's what was eating me up for years. And all that was happening while God was calling me to ministry and speaking His promises over me and, I believe, trying to extend healing to me. But I could not grab hold of these things because I hung so pridefully to unforgiveness more than I did to what God was trying to say and do in me. And I see... That Now that although I could uh, not readily receive healing because of my unforgiveness, God was nonetheless extending healing to me all those years. That unsolicited healing is what is given to this disabled man who gives Jesus an excuse rather than a yes. Jesus, in his authority commands the man with the same words that would be spoken over him about his resurrection. He says, get up or rise up. He's essentially resurrecting this man from the dead. The man is healed. The healing he didn't even ask for is given to him. And the man, he doesn't know what to do with it. He doesn't thank Jesus. He doesn't worship Jesus. Jesus, or he doesn't ask to follow him like in other healing stories that we see in John. It simply happens to him. And I believe that many of us are like this man. We have been given a healing in our lives without even asking for it, including me. God has spoken a word of healing over us, and we have been healed, we have been made well. But perhaps we didn't know how to recognize it. We didn't know how to receive it. So we dismiss it. And we deny it. And we let it go. We slip back into listening to the old tape-recorded voices, the lies. And like Jesus says in the Gospels, we, re- we are like dogs who return to our own vomit. So hear this. Our main point, if you want to be made whole you must first believe you've been made well. If we must let Jesus' voice rise above all the other voices in our lives so we can receive the healing that God has extended even if we haven't asked for it and are not looking for it. And in truth, I guess I have to say, preparing for this message, this was a complicated kind of paradigm-busting story for me. I'm used to seeing Jesus kind of pose things to people and then they respond in kind at uh, the level of faithfulness that they have and that's the level that they are healed. So it's, it's sort of like Jesus is willing to do all things for those who are willing to offer faithfulness. But that's not what happens here. I feel like the man could have said anything. I feel like the man could have answered in any sort of way and Jesus would have done what Jesus intended to do to heal the man. And that just, that kind of messes with me a little bit. So I have to ask the question, what is Jesus up to? And I think the next part of the story kind of gives us a little bit of why maybe Jesus will offer a healing unsolicited. And I think it's in part of what what Paul actually said in this, was talking about that season of suffering and how that can lead us to wholeness. Because I think that although God wants us to be healed, I think God desires us more to be whole. So let's look at this second part. We are tested. Right after the healing, Jesus tells the man, pick up your mat and walk. And this is problematic because this is the Sabbath day that he's healed on. And the Sabbath is the seventh day of the week where at creation, God rested from all the work. God commanded his followers to observe the Sabbath and rest likewise. So, like in Jeremiah 17, it says, this is what the Lord says, be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. And there are many other commandments like this to rest and not carry a load, and not do these things on the Sabbath. But these commandments needed to be interpreted. What can I actually do? What can you actually carry? What can you actually turn on? What can All of these things were actually created by Jewish leaders, and there are hundreds of prohibitions about what you cannot do on Sabbath so that you can keep the Sabbath correctly. So the healed man carrying his mat was enough to break Sabbath law. And the testing begins. The Jewish leaders question him and demand to know, why is he carrying his mat? They don't even know he has been healed after 38 years of being disabled. And the truth is, they do not care because the man actually tells him, tells the Jewish leaders that he had been healed and they don't say the natural question. Who healed you? Wouldn't you want to know? Who healed this man after 38 years? You would want to know that. But these Jewish leaders do not. They do not. This is, this is what they actually say. Who was this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? That's what they ask. They're so interested. They're so interested in following these man-made Sabbath prohibitions that they cannot see with the eyes of faith, that the healed man really was observing the Sabbath. He had been disabled for 38 years, and he was just healed. The mat wasn't the burden. Hopelessness was the burden. Just lying, desperate, 38 years. It was not the mat. It was hopelessness. And Jesus, through the healing, just gave this man the ability to observe the law free of the burden of his ailment. Free from the prison of self-pity and shame. He had been given his identity in God back. Unfortunately, like Peter walking on water, the gift of God's reality is fleeting for the healed man. In the face of testing after the healing, even the healed man reverts back to the shackles of the Sabbath law. He seems fearful of the Jewish leaders and more deferent to their voice than to the voice of Jesus. He seems to be scared to go all in with Jesus and believe in the healing he has been given. And I don't want to be too critical of this man because the truth is, it makes sense. This man is one of the lowest and most marginalized in his community. He has very little himself, so he risks much by going all in with Jesus, socially and otherwise. The weight of the Sabbath is being heaped on him right at the point when he is healed and he is freed, and it proves too much for him. I wonder if this is what crushed him and caused him to not readily receive and testify about the healing to the Jewish leaders. It seems to me we do the same thing with our marginalized today. This is not just a story way back when. I think we do similar things to our marginalized today. And we don't even have the Sabbath laws. You see, we don't have written laws requiring people to look or to behave or to carry themselves in certain ways on the Sabbath On Sundays, but we certainly have unwritten rules. Rules that heap the weight of the Sabbath law on our marginalized people before they can be a part of our community on Sundays. We expect people to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, smell nice, to be sober, to use right language, to dress well and otherwise look like we do so we can feel comfortable. With our words, we say all are welcomed, but with our unwritten rules, we potentially block and squelch healings that those in greatest need could be experiencing right here in our community. It is worth asking ourselves, are we being the Jewish leaders? Are we being Pharisees holding people to these kinds of standards Or are we really being Jesus in the world? Remember, we want to be in the shoes of the healed man. We want to be the ones being tested. We do not want to be the ones doing the testing. For that is judgment. And that is for God alone. You see, for when we are the ones being tested, I tell you, since Jesus will never leave us, And will never forsake us. He will find us. And he will invite us to wholeness. Kind of like in... When Horton Hears a Who. Everybody familiar with this story? This is a Dr. Seuss story. And uh, in it, there is this elephant. And he's walking along and he thinks he hears something. So he goes to search it out and he finds that on this flower... There's people in it, little people called who's. And he's putting them up to his big elephant ears, and he's listening, and they're saying, we're in here, we're alive, we're here. And so Horton believes, and he says, well, if you're in there, and you're in this little flower, I must, I must protect you, because not, all, not everybody will see you. So he starts carrying this flower in his trunk, and he's going through the jungle, and he's starting to get some attention because pe- the other animals are wondering, what are you doing? Are you crazy? There's nobody. Just throw that flower away. And Horton does everything he can to protect the flower, but all the jungle animals come against him, take his flower, give it to a bird, and the bird flies to a field with millions of like flowers, and he drops the flower in the field, and he says, good luck. And that's where we pick up our story. I'll find it, cried Horton. I'll find it or bust. I shall find my friends on my small speck of dust. And clover by clover by clover with care, he picked up and searched them and called them, Are you there? But clover by clover by clover, he found that the one that he sought for was just not around. And by noon, poor old Horton, more dead than alive, had picked searched, and piled up, 9,005. Then on through the afternoon, hour after hour, till he found them at last on the three millionth flower. My friends, cried the elephant, tell me, do tell. Are you safe? Are you sound? Are you whole? Are you well? Even Horton knows that he... Can find his friends even through the testing. Even through the testing, there is an opportunity for wholeness. That's our last point. We are found. Jesus returns to the healed man after his confrontation with the Jewish leaders. This kind of second follow up from Jesus after a healing is seen in John 9, just a few chapters later. We're in John 5. This story in John 9 is, a man, is about a man born blind, and he's healed from his blindness by Jesus. Then he has a confrontation with the Jewish leaders, and then Jesus, Jesus finds him afterwards. And the man in John 9 is effusive with his gratitude for being healed, and he worships Jesus as Lord. The man, even while being questioned by the Jewish leaders, he tries to recruit them to follow Jesus. Such audacity. He says, Why are you questioning me? Do you too want to follow Jesus? And they naturally, they got mad, and they called him names, and they sent him out. But such faith, such faith by this man, like he so believes in the healing that he would say something like that. The same cannot be said of our healed man in John 5. In fact, the man, when when, uh, Jesus finds him again, is speechless. So Jesus just has one word for him. He says, he basically, he's trying to give him an opportunity to take hold, last to take hold of this wholeness. And so, you know what he says to him? He says stop sinning. Kind of brutal, right? I mean, was it really this man's fault that he was, that he was disabled for 38 years? And is sin really the reason that he has been remained disabled for these 38 years? So Jesus, in the other story, is basically asked these questions by the disciples. So in John 9, the disciples basically say, hey, who sinned? Why is this man blind? Who sinned to to cause this? And Jesus says, neither he or his parents sinned to cause him to be like this. It is for God's glory that he was born blind. And so Jesus is not saying that this man is being punished with disability for some sin in his life. So we don't believe that as Christians, and Jesus is basically saying that here. Jesus is trying to get away from this idea of a right and wrong idea of sin. You know, what he's telling the man, and listen, listen to this, because this is what we would all do. This is what we all do. He's telling the man to stop giving his heart away to someone or something other than God. When the prophets speak about sin, the imagery that they lean into is that of adultery spiritual adultery. It is less about right moral character and more about a right heart. So when Jesus tells the man to stop sinning, he is telling him to stop giving his heart away to another lover. Perhaps the healed man was more in love with the idea of the the angel healing him in the water than he was about getting well. Or perhaps he was more in love with his identity as a victim than his identity in God. Jesus is telling this man, if he wants to take hold of this healing, if he wants this life change to be permanent, he needs to stop giving his heart away to false gods or to a false identity, and turn wholeheartedly back to God as his lover. He is giving him the word of life to be made whole, and the truth is it's unclear in the text if he takes a hold of it. You see, in verse 15, the man, after he realized it was Jesus who had healed him, he goes back to the Jewish leaders and he says, it is Jesus who made me well. And what's interesting about that, that second follow-up with the Jewish leaders who had just confronted him, is you're not sure if this man is basically going to like rat Jesus out, right? Like to basically say like, it was him that healed me and it was him that told me to pick up the mat to get their focus on Jesus and off of him. Or is he really going there to say, I have been made well. I was healed and it was Jesus who did that. It's unclear It's unclear in the text what the man is doing, but I believe that this story is directing us to be clear here this morning. Jesus wants to heal you and may have even proclaimed a word of healing over you in an area in your life. Let us not block that healing by holding on to unforgiveness for another in our hearts or by believing lies that we have not been healed. I'm bringing up unforgiveness specifically over and over and again because unforgiveness, harboring unforgiveness, is one of the primary ways that we block God's healing power in our lives. So if you're going to do something after this service or even while we're worshiping Jesus here at the end, search yourselves. What unforgiveness are you harboring? Bring that to Jesus. Bring it to Jesus and let it not be this significant impediment in your life to receive that healing that God is trying to give you. Secondly, a time of testing is not a sign of unfaithfulness or that the healing hasn't occurred. Testing will come. And it really comes when you have received what the, what the power of God is trying to do in your life. So on the contrary... The testing is actually a confirmation of real and authentic Holy Spirit activity in your life. This is the power of God acting upon you and your life. You simply have to ask God, how are you wanting to heal me? How are you wanting to heal me? And he will speak to you. It may not be the area that you want him to heal you, but he is healing you and he is trying to do a work in you. And if the power of God present in your life wasn't enough, Jesus will personally come and find you and retrieve you from the fire, that testing time. And like Horton, Jesus will pick through three million flowers to find his beloved and make the beloved you whole. Let's be careful to give Jesus all the glory for what he has rescued us from, and to worship him. For through this worship, may we be united to him, in him, be made whole in ourselves and as a community. And this is where the Rwandese have given us a great example. For they have put away these titles, Hootsie and Tutsi, and taken up a more uniting title, Rwandese, And more than the title, they've taken up a greater identity, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has become their uniting factor. Yes, they have dissimilarities. Yes, they have things that they don't agree on, all these. But they've made their united factor Jesus Christ. And they have given us a great example. For we ourselves here, we do not agree on all things. Right? We do not agree feel the same ways on various different topics. But Jesus is our Lord, and Jesus unites us, so we must put away childish things when we become mature, and we must seek unity in Jesus Christ. So this morning, as the worship team comes back up, I'm going to pose that question again from Nathan Nelson. What movement needs to happen in your life to move across boundaries to move beyond the lies you've believed, or the victimization you might hold on to, or these different attitudes that keep us from one another. What boundaries do you need to cross this morning that by taking the hand of Jesus who wants to heal you, you can come across? So as we continue to worship this morning and uh, the prayer team can come forward, I encourage you, come and receive prayer. Come, don't hold it back anymore. You don't need to. Jesus, this is what he died and rise for, was to heal you. So come and receive that prayer this morning and to lift up your voices of praise to Jesus Christ. Let us sing.